Here we go. So hopefully you're able to hear me now. I was just saying, um, welcome. Yeah, I'm getting indication that it is coming through. I was just saying, welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study. And we're going to be shifting the branding to line upon line. The, the real feature of this uh, study is not that it's on Wednesday nights. Uh, in fact, sometimes we've done it on Thursday nights, sometimes on Tuesday nights. The real feature of this study is that, or this program is that it's a line upon line study. So if we look at this logo from the bottom up, uh, we have a line. That's a line of scriptural text. And the way that we study it is it's a line upon a line. The colors are important. These are royal colors, royal gold and blue. So we want to give this sense of the majesty of God's word. But the focus is that it's line upon line. Now, above that line upon line focus, you'll see that the biblical text open. So this line upon line approach to study opens the text to us. And that's what that opening symbolizes. But also, as you look at the word or that the, the text open, it's actually in the form of a bird, meaning the text is free. The word of God is free. It cannot be contained. Wicked men can do all they want to try to suppress it. It cannot be suppressed. This word will go forward, and it's, it's, it will go forward like a, a free bird all over the world declaring this gospel. And then above the Bible, you will see what is a trumpet, that it's not just that it's free to roam and, and, and preach all over the world. It's a blast. There's no apology for this word. What is in the text of this book cannot be suppressed, and it's going to be shouted at the loudest volume from the highest rooftop. And, and this is, this is the, the, the trumpet. It can also be a symbol of a light, that this is light that's emanating from the word. And finally, it can also be a, a Torah marker, that as we read Torah, the Torah is so holy they didn't want to touch it, they would use a, a pointer for this. So this is our logo. It's packed with meaning. And uh, that is really the feature of this study, that it is a line-upon-line line, um, approach. So hopefully you appreciate as much as we do this, uh, this new symbol of this program. We'll open with a word of prayer, and then let's get into our study for this evening, which will be Isaiah 13. So that's what we'll be uh, covering this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we want to just praise and thank you for your, your presence. Your presence here, Father, despite the, the darkness in this world, your light is here. We want to thank you, Father, for your word and, and the blessing that you've given to us to want to study your word line upon line and to really try to understand what is it that, that you have inspired uh, through those men that you have used collectively to author this, this wonderful book that we call the Bible. We thank you for the desire that you've put in our hearts to understand, Father, and to live by, not just understand, but to live by these words. This time, Lord, we, we want to lift up uh, the Palmetier family. Just thank you so much for them, for their faithfulness, and how much they sacrifice and contribute to the body of Christ. We want to acknowledge that, Father, and, and lift them up to you. And just pray from, from heaven, Father, that as you look down, you would see them, you'd see this trial that they're going through, you would see their hearts, and you would bless them through this trial, Father, and that as they come out the other end, they'd be stronger for it and, and wiser uh, and nobler. We thank you, Lord, and, and we trust, we entrust them to your safekeeping. We ask that you would now uh, bless our study and uh, bless all those who tune in live, plus those who will tune in at a later date. We praise you and thank you. And we're asking all of this in Jesus' most holy and mighty name. Amen.
So we are up to Isaiah 13. Let me uh, share my screen so that we can get into tonight's study. And uh, Isaiah 13, as I like to do, just go back. Uh, Isaiah 12 was a very short chapter, just uh, six verses, I believe. So we'll just pick up the context so we don't get that scriptural amnesia and we forget what came before. Uh, so uh, Isaiah 11 to 12. In fact, I should just pause for a moment and explain this. Isaiah 11 to 12 was um, really focused on Judah and Jerusalem. And now as we come into chapter 13, we're entering a different section of his vision. So if you look at this, um, and if you were with us on Sabbath, I had shown this then, but this is his vision. If you, you can go anywhere in Isaiah if you understand the, the fundamental structure of his vision. And so what we have is his covenant people, Israel and Judah. Uh, these, are, these, these are his children. He has brought them up especially as his children, but they've rebelled against him. And through their human pride, they've actually turned on him and become his enemies. Now he raises up Assyria to crush Israel and punish Israel. And he raises up Babylon to crush Judah and punish Judah. Israel he divorces, but he retains the covenant in Judah. And although uh, Babylon will crush Judah, even initially Assyria was threatening to do it, but he told the king then that that won't happen. But the king re re retained this rebelliousness and pride and didn't repent. And so God then raised up Babylon to crush Judah, but not entirely. And then there's, we're going to be from 13 to 39, we're going to see all these different judgments on, on these different nations, including Judah and Jerusalem. But God is dealing with human pride. And we're, we're going to see this human pride at, uh, constantly raising up its head and God constantly crushing it. And he does it through this humble servant. That when we had studied uh, Second Isaiah, we spent a lot of time looking at the humble servant. And a great verse for that is Isaiah 42 and verse 1. But, but the Savior comes in the form of a baby who grows up to be a great king and a savior. But, but he comes in service to his people. And so Judah and Israel will be redeemed because of this humble servant. And these Gentile nations will be obliterated. And so as we move now into chapter 13, we're moving into the judgments upon the nations. So it's just very helpful, I think, to have that clear structure in mind. We're moving out now from the very intimate uh, relationship that God has with Judah into the relationship that he, he will have with the Gentile nations. Just the same way he, he addresses Israel and Judah's pride, he's also going to address the pride of the Gentile nations. So this evening, uh, chapter 13, we're going to see him addressing specifically Babylon. So we're here now in Isaiah, so just to go back to Isaiah 12, where he says, and I'll just read the chapter without much comment, because we, we studied this last week. And in that day, you will say, Oh, Yehovah, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, this is Judah speaking, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. So all what we see happening right now in Judah, the nation that we call Israel, this is just the beginning. These are the opening salvos. This nation is prophesied or these peoples, wherever they are all over the world, these people are, are prophesied to suffer more than any other tribe of people ever. And that is the cost of entering into covenant with God 
and then betraying that covenant. But that's not the end of the story. That's just the middle of the story. The end of the story is what we're reading here in Isaiah 12. So as wicked as these people may be, they are still his people. And although they may be unfaithful to the covenant, what makes him God is he speaks and he performs exactly what he speaks and nobody can stop him. So he is faithful to the covenant. And so this is Judah now rejoicing in their redemption. Acknowledging, you are angry with me and your anger is turned away. And you comfort me. And so Isaiah, second Isaiah um, opens with chapter 40, telling somebody who has an understanding of what's going on to comfort his people, to comfort Judah, to tell Judah, it's okay, your God reigns. You know, the whole warfare, it's over now. It's time for you to be comforted. So somebody has to understand this big picture of this good news to the covenant people and preach it faithfully. So Judah says now at this time, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. This is amazing because in um, Isaiah 5, I believe it was, we were looking at King Ahaz uh, and also in Isaiah um, seven and eight, as we studied him making his decisions, he was terrified of the northern tribes led by Ephraim and joining with Syria. And he saw that and he was terrified, so much so he ran to Assyria for help. And that was a big mistake. And, and that caused now God to, although he didn't allow Assyria to crush them, he raised up Babylon to crush them. But now, whatever process they've been through, they finally come to realize that they will, they can trust God. He's faithful. For Yah, Yehovah, is my strength and song. So they're stopped turning to other nations and military power, and they acknowledge he also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. This is the future of these peoples. And in that day, you will say, praise Yehovah. Call upon his name. There's a specific name that they will be telling the nations to call upon. And they've, there's no other God that's like this God. And lest he be confused, and, and, and clearly the indication to me is the name Allah is going to be all over the earth. We already have, what, some 1.8 billion people calling on that name. So lest we get confused and think that it's some other God that is the true God, it's going to be known. Yehovah, call upon this name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Tell the nations. Make mention that his name is exalted. Don't get confused. Turn away from your false gods. Turn away from your paganism and Satanism. And if you want to live, worship Yehovah. They are, the, the, Isaiah says in another place, you are my, God says through Isaiah to Judah, you are my witnesses. And so they are to witness the faithfulness of God. And here we see this witnessing. Sing to the Lord such joy, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. So this is going to be this massive second exodus where God draws his people, both Israel and Judah, from the four corners of the earth for all eyes to see. And there's going to be a massive celebration of, of this. And the whole earth, all, all the Gentiles, the, the veil will be lifted from them. And they will finally understand what is going on in the earth and what who the true God is that is orchestrating and has been orchestrating these events. For he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. So now nobody's confused. Everybody knows. 
Cry and shout, O inhabitant of Zion. Not, not everybody, but the inhabitants of Zion. You're the ones who are to cry out and shout. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. God makes a distinction. We're in an age now where you can't make distinctions. Everything is everything's for everybody and everything's about equality. And you can, No, God is a God of distinctions. He draws a line. This is holy, that is not. This is mine, that is not. And so there's going to be a distinction that all those who dwell in Zion are his. And people from all over the earth are going to say, we need to go to Zion. The truth is in Zion. The true God is in Zion. Let's go there. So great is the Holy One of Israel. Jesus Christ came to earth, not for the all of mankind. Ultimately, yes, but not initially. He came for Israel, and not just for Israel, but as a representative of Israel, and more specifically, as a representative of the tribe of Judah, so that everything he does really, truly is fulfilling the covenant between God and Judah. And, and therefore, those who then will accept him as their savior, they're able to inherit the promises through the covenant and to do so legally because that covenant has consequences. And Christ being totally innocent, he took those consequences. So God was able to remain true to the covenant. And at the same time, those who repent and accept him, they're able to re receive the blessings of the covenant and God is being true to his word. But there's a curse on these people, Isaiah 6, until the abomination that makes desolate. And if you were with us on Sabbath, uh, there's, a, there's a blinding of them until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So those two things seem to happen at the same time. When the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the abomination that makes desolate will be in place and the Jews will finally have their eyes opened. And then we, 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 we will have had the full complement of the Gentiles. So we won't need any more Gentiles because the Jews now are accepting him and we're seeing this acceptance here. So before we get now, that, that was um, Isaiah 12 and then we're gonna go on the heels of this into Isaiah 13. But just before we do, I want to remind us of this pivotal fundamental prophecy laid down by Moses and all of the prophets after him amplify this prophecy. All of the prophets after him give this prophecy in high definition and specific detail. So the prophecy says this, so Deuteronomy 30 comes after Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And in 28 and 29, he itemizes all the blessings for being obedient to the covenant. And then he itemizes all of the curses for being disobedient to the covenant. And then he opens chapter 30 saying, yeah, both these things are going to come upon you. Yes, you will be blessed. But you might, have, you might start out well, and, and you know, David is going to bring these blessings to you but you're not going to be faithful. So I, I, before you, you, you haven't even entered into the land yet. And I already see you're going to be unfaithful. And so the curses, all these curses that I've pronounced are going to come upon you as well. And these, curse, these curses are profound and just really intense, but that's not going to be the end of the story because he goes on to say here in chapter six or chapter 30, verse six, and Jehovah, your God will circumcise your heart. That is spiritual language. You carnal people will be converted. And that's Holy Spirit language. You, you will be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit and the heart of your descendants. And when that happens, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, when that happens, 
you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. That is spiritual. That's Holy Spirit language. That is not possible without the Holy Spirit. So Moses is telling them, yeah, you'll start out okay. You'll receive these blessings, but you're going to be cursed as well. In fact, you'll start out cursed. You'll finally come into the blessing, and then you'll go back to being cursed. And all these curses that I've pronounced are going to come upon you. But that's not the end of the story. So you're going to, I, I can foresee the time ahead when you and your descendants are going to truly love your God. You're going to stop playing the hypocrite. And you're going to love him wholeheartedly with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And you're going to live forever at this point. And then he says in verse 7, surprisingly, also, the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecuted you. So these nations are going to rise up. God is going to raise them up, in fact, and they're going to destroy you. They're going to make your life a complete misery. But when, you, when it serves its purpose and you finally realize you have nobody except Jehovah, and you turn to him with your whole heart, finally God will have what he wants in his covenant people. And at that time, all this affliction that they've put on you, he's going to turn it around and they're going to suffer this affliction. So this is the fundamental prophecy. And all the other prophets do is bring this out in high definition. Okay, so let's now go to Isaiah 13 and beginning in verse 1. So God now turns his attention, or the prophet now, in his vision, turns his attention from Judah and Jerusalem, and specifically now to Babylon. That Babylon, God is going to raise up Babylon to crush Jerusalem and to crush Judah. And so it was anciently. That's what we have ahead of us as well. There's, a, there's an ancient fulfillment of this, but there's an end-time fulfillment of this as well. So the, this is the burden against Babylon. So this is quite a burden for him to see this. It's the burden against Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw. Lift up a banner on the high mountain. Raise your voice to them. Wave your hand that they may enter the gates of the nobles. So there's some sort of military force now that's rising to attack Babylon. And it's at the command of God himself. I have commanded my sanctified ones. So God sets certain ones apart to do his bidding in this first iteration it's going to be um, cyrus and the persians the medes and the persians but ultimately god has his sanctified ones and this may even be may even be speaking of angelic forces behind the scenes the same way these angels have slaughtered assyria i have commanded my sanctified ones i have also called my mighty ones that's that's what uh, gives me the indication you know, the sanctified ones could be the armies of the Medes and the Persians, but I've also called my Gabor, my mighty ones, for my anger. Those who rejoice in my exaltation. And that's, again, why I'm seeing sort of the angel, the angelic. He's the Lord of hosts, right? Yehovah Zavot, Lord of armies. He's a God of armies. And these armies are not just physical armies. In fact, they're mostly referring to this, the angelic armies, the angelic host. And so... This, this nation is coming down, and there are those who rejoice in his exaltation, who don't understand how holy he is. And then he says, again, this is a vision that he has, the noise of a multitude in the mountains, like that of many people, you can just hear it, 
that you can hear the foreboding nature of this army closing in. A tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together. So he's now pulling all these nations together uh, to work. And, and this may be the Battle of Armageddon that he's re referring to. But there's certainly this combined force that, that is going to result in the destruction of Babylon. But God is going to destroy all these nations. And from 13 to 39, we're going to see all these different judgments upon these nations. The Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. So he's the one that's orchestrating all of this. So we see now, for example, I've been talking about this, a warning of this, that the, the, the fall of the uh, Americans to Marxism, uh, the current administration, uh, which is a Marxist socialist administration, that if, from what I can see, I, I don't see any fruit that indicates a love of America. In fact, I see the opposite. Every decision, every policy, everything they're doing betrays their hatred for America and their desire to betray America and collapse America. So because of that weakness and that, that very visible weakness and you know, funding uh, Iran to the tune of billions and hundreds of billions of dollars, a, a failed nation, a nation that was failing, but enabling the nation to recover by giving them billions and billions of dollars. And what's their desire? Is to crush Israel. It's to crush Israel. And I'm just seeing an indication that uh, there's a problem with sound. Uh, from what I can see here, everything should be fine. So I'm just getting some, somebody saying no video, no sound. Maybe they need to be on YouTube. But uh, um, let's just get confirmation. If I'll continue here, and I'm just looking for confirmation that uh, there is sound coming through. And uh, hmm. Getting a few here saying no sound. So hopefully the recording will, will work out for us and we'll be able to uh, put this in the archive. I'm going to continue until I really see that uh, there is no sound. In fact, I'll just check here in the chat. Uh, oh, there is sound. Beautiful. Thank you, Sister Catherine. Uh, Ralph, sound is good. Okay, very good. I was getting a few uh, um, things there saying there was no sound. Very, very good. Okay, thank you for that. So... Um, I was saying that um, what I wanted to indicate then is with America, the most powerful nation, the most powerful empire the world has ever seen, and not by a small margin. They, they don't win this race by, oh, by a nose. They are off the charts, America, off the charts in terms of power, economic wealth, military power. The world has never seen this. And the world has never seen a nation that is founded upon the concept of the worth of the individual and, and the fundamental God-given rights of the individual and the fundamental value of freedom. The world has never seen this. America stands alone. It's the greatest, most miraculous empire and the most benevolent empire. And I know there's people among us who hate America. I don't know how to explain you. But if you can maybe explain to me, what nation have you seen that has been greater in wealth, that budgets in the trillions of dollars, that has been greater in military power, and that has been greater in acknowledging the fundamental God-given rights of every human being? To tell me if you've seen anything like this. Because as I've studied history, and all the nations that have come before, I've never seen anything like this. 
And this nation was only getting started. I mean, it's a young nation, 240 odd years old. And the previous administration had a vision of like, let's take this even greater. Let's take this further. And let's, you know, a rising tide floats all boats. Everybody can do better. Everyone, every American can do well. And I don't see that anymore. That's lost. And in fact, what we're seeing is that the shameful exposure of America's underbelly, how weak and, and corrupt and divided America is. And there are people in this world that hate freedom and that hate America and realize that as long as America is strong, freedom becomes the fundamental value in democracies around the world. So the prize is to take down America. But the real thing that we need to watch, according to our Lord's command, is Jerusalem. Watch Jerusalem. And so as we watch America collapse, our eyes are on Jerusalem. And in the previous administration, you did not see the open warfare on the nation of Israel, the tribe of Judah that you see today. No way. They wouldn't dare try it because the previous administration flexed their muscle and said, we are America and we don't tolerate nonsense. For years, they were carrying on ISIS. Every week, it's like they've captured more territory. And, and the, previous, the, the administration before that, 44, was saying, oh, well, what can we do there? What can we do? There's, there's nothing we can do. 45 came in and said, stop the nonsense. We're America. And you just, just ISIS disappeared. They just went away. No more problem. Now we have this new administration and suddenly Hamas is flexing its muscles. The Palestinians are being funded by this administration. This is a cursed administration. So says your Bible. I'm not afraid to say that. So says your Bible. These are the children of Abraham. And anybody who curses Abraham is cursed. This current administration is cursed. And they're cursing all of their people. Open borders, anybody can come in. We're witnessing. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens slowly, slowly, and then all at once. Collapse is something that creeps up on you, creeps up on you. It's there. The indicators are there. Nobody's paying attention. And then suddenly it's everywhere. So this nation is cursed. I'm, I'm sorry to say that. And, but as a result of her obvious, visible, global, globally visible weakness, and even going further than that, funding of these terrorists, Israel is having a very difficult time now. People are being persecuted and bombed, and it's unbelievable what's happening. And it's amazing how when Israel is going to drop a bomb, they send so many notices to the civilians. This, this building is uh, identified as high risk for terrorism, and so we're going to bomb it. But we're giving you all the warning to leave. And, and that, that Hamas says, we will shoot you if you leave the building. We want you to stay there. And then Israel gets blamed for civilian casualties. Well, I think we have to look at the situation and see what's really happening. But these people have a bloodthirst for the Jews. They will not rest. They cannot sleep as long as a Jew is alive. And this is the prophecy. So this is just America collapsing and allowing this is just opening up the prophecies. And Christ said, watch Jerusalem. So we, ha we have to have this bigger picture. And I constantly get accused of being political. I couldn't care less about politics, except as it relates to prophecy. That's, what, that's my concern. And when it does relate to prophecy, I want to talk about it. And I don't want people silencing me. So we see here now this, this um, raising of this uh, power of Babylon then being crushed. So we're going to see Babylon rise, which right now, Babylon is what we would call more or less Iraq today. So there's going to be some kind of power that's going to come out of that region. But 
we see as we look at these prophecies, there's also the Assyrian. So Assyria and Babylon were, were plaguing Judah and Israel anciently. And then as we look at the duality of prophecy, there, there seems to be another end time fulfillment with, again, both Babylon and Assyria. So anciently Assyria was the main power, then, but then Babylon became the main power. But it looks like in the end time, Babylon is going to be under Assyria as part of the massive Assyrian Empire and the resurrection of that Ottoman Empire. And it's going to be plaguing Jerusalem. But then it's going to be crushed. The noise of a multitude in the mountains, like that of many people, a tumultuous noise of the kingdoms of nations gathered together, the Lord of hosts musters the army for battle. They come from a far country, from the end of heaven, the Lord and his weapons of indignation to destroy the whole land. So up to now, you know, all of these kind of um, severe judgments were on Judah and Jerusalem. But now the vision flips and these severe judgments are on Babylon, even though Babylon was being used to crush Judah. Now God is unleashing the weapons of his wrath on these people. Speaking to Babylon, wail for the day of Jehovah is at hand. So this now is the day of the Lord. And so the day of the Lord has layers and, and it, 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 it unfolds in layers. And first the Jew, then the Gentile. But God is uh, focusing on the Jew first to drive them to repentance. There's going to be a remnant that comes out of this precious and, and, and their heart wholly turned to the Lord. And when that happens, then he turns on Babylon and the Gentile nations. Wail for the day of Jehovah is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. So this is going to be a very, very powerful nation that looks like nothing can stop it, but the Almighty will stop it. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. And these are the sort of um, visions that we have to, to hold on to. Because these people, when they rise up, and that's what's happening right now, the earth is being reconfigured. You know, thanks to the uh, current administration, they're letting everything go. And, and they themselves are collapsing. So uh, nature hates a vacuum. So, so Matthew 24, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. That, that, that weakness that America is displaying is going to allow nations to go to war. That wouldn't previously have done so. China is going to see like, wow, this is our chance. We, we can be first in line. We can be the governing power over the whole earth. And what will that be like when we no longer have the fundamental value of the human being as that, that fundamental ethic of the world ruling power? I wonder what that will be like. I wonder how happy everybody will be now that we don't have to read Donald Trump's tweets. But at least, you know what? We, we, we don't have this, this constant uh, antagonistic relationship between the press and the president. Now the press just love, just they're, they're an extension. They're a promotional propagandist arm of the president. Isn't that wonderful? We have peace at last. At what cost? I wonder. So when China now sees these, wow, this is our opportunity. When terrorists all around the world say, wow, open borders, let's get in there and start plotting and scheming. What does the future look like? Well, it's gonna be a reconfigured world. But these nations, as they come up, they're going to seem so powerful. And it's going to look like they could never be removed. But God himself is going to remove them. Anybody who curses Abraham's children is cursed. And God will see to that. 
Wail, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt. Can you imagine these powerful people? And we're going to see them like panicking like little children when they see the power of the Almighty. And they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. God is not joking. You have touched the apple of his eye. And that's why we, brethren, we need to make sure that we are in no way associated with anybody who is causing infliction of pain upon the children of Abraham. We cannot be associated with these movements. We cannot be funding these movements. We cannot be lending any type of moral support to these movements because then we come under the curse. So if you've been doing this, run for your life. Run, for, run as if your life depended upon it because it does. God is quiet. He's hiding himself from Jacob, but he's about to make himself known. And Isaiah is showing us the sequence of events here. So I really feel sorry for any among us who I'm a Sabbath keeper, but I fund movements that are going to destroy Jerusalem. Oh boy, <laughs> you better think twice about that. In fact, I was looking at the, the news um, just uh, the other day when I saw this. This is what's happening in Jerusalem right now. They're going into the synagogues, going into the, the, the temple, and just destroying Taurus. They have no respect for the word of God. And people over here are funding movements and funding the government of America that is funding these people, sending hundreds of millions of dollars to Hamas for them to do this. I would be really, really careful. This, this is the sort of thing that God is saying, okay, go ahead, go ahead. But once he acts, as, as Moses said, all these curses that have come upon you, they're going to come upon your enemies. God is going to reverse it, and they'll come upon your enemies. So we do need to be, I, I can't stress it enough. God is hiding right now, but he's going to act, and he's going to bring down all wicked men. And the fact that we keep Shabbat, but we're funding movements that are destroying Judah and Jerusalem and destroying Torah. You're a hypocrite. You call yourself a Christian? I'll tell you, out of brotherly love, you're a hypocrite. Get right with God. Get, get, get right with the text so we don't come under his condemnation. And, and God is quiet. He's just watching. But when he bursts forth, everybody who has offended him and offended his covenant people they're going to fall under great disgrace. And so as powerful as these people are, and they're marching everywhere and they feel so powerful, and you know, they, they, who, who can make war with the beast? Who, who can make war with him? He's just so powerful until God acts. So we have to just keep these prophecies in mind. So pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in childbirth. And that's just agony. Just, just, we're just gonna see them writhing in pain. They will be amazed at one another their faces will be like flames. So they're just going to see each other basically going up in smoke and, and they're going to be shocked because they really were depending on each other's power. Behold, the day of Jehovah comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger. And this again, you know, again, the people who think that they can just do whatever they want and still keep Sabbath and uh, be involved in these Marxist movements and still keep Sabbath. They have a view of Christ that is really centered around his first coming. That when we read the gospel accounts and we see how he moved in the earth, 
there, there was a meekness to him. There was a softness to him. And that's their perception of Christ. That's, that's really the way they think about him. And they don't read the prophecies to understand that when he returns, he's returning nothing like his first appearance. His second appearance is going to be nothing like his first appearance. They have no sense of just how full of wrath and anger and indignation he is and how it's a time of him unleashing his wrath. And that's why it's so important now that we get on the right side. And so if there's anything that I can say to all of us, let's clean our, clean up our, clean our lives up. So let's make sure that we're on the right side. We're not um, partnering with wicked men who are seeking to destroy the seed of Abraham. That, that's a satanic agenda. It's Satan's agenda to remove the physical seed of Abraham from the earth. And in so doing, uh, handcuff God and show God to be a liar because he cannot do what he said he would do. So Satan is doing everything he can to destroy and has been. The Jews have constantly been under persecution so that the promises to the Jews cannot be fulfilled and God be shown to be a liar, that he's not really God. And so if we're getting caught up in that satanic agenda, now is the time to just stop. If you're in a pit, stop digging. Stop digging. Marxism and Christ cannot coexist. Beautiful rhetoric notwithstanding. So God is coming and we need to, we need to be hiding ourselves. <laughs> you know, the, the, the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. We need to see what's coming and we need to understand the, the intense wrath with which Christ is going to appear. And in, in a sense, we need to have that wrath as well. We need to look at the evil in the earth and be, be just weeping because of it. And our hearts need to be just furious and like, how long, oh Lord, before you act on this and stop this wickedness? We can't be just living at, living, living at ease. Wicked things are happening. The America board, American border is wide open and all kinds of sexual um, exploitation and trafficking is taking place, not just of women, but of children. And, and we don't care because the, the, the only time we care is when the media makes us excited. Oh, children in cages, children. In, and we just feel this, this agitation and this hatred and, and we don't know where it's coming from, but we just feel so angry. And then the media stops doing that. And then we just feel really relaxed. Meanwhile, intense evil is taking place. We don't care because the media doesn't tell us to care. So we're calm now. We're, we, can, we can get up in the morning, have a nice coffee in the evening, sit back with a nice glass of wine, and we just don't care until the media makes us care about something. And then we get all agitated again. And we don't know why. It's just there's agitation in the air. We need to be agitated when we read the text, when we read Torah, and we see how wicked these people are. And we just cannot wait for God's judgment. And we are full of wrath. So when he returns full of wrath, hey, there's alignment. We're on the same side. We're on the same team. How can it be that he's going to return full of wrath and we're happy? We're just, hey, the world is better now. We finally got our people in power. And they're doing wicked things. So the day of the Lord comes, it's cruel. This is a cruel day. Both wrath and fierce anger. This is, there's no mercy anywhere when he returns, except for his people. To lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. This is Jesus Christ. This is the image that we need to have of Christ. This is who's returning. This is our maker. This is who we say, behold, the Lord comes. And we rejoice for this. Are we on the right side? 
For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Beautiful to see the stars. The other day, a Mercury was in view about a week ago. It's beautiful to see the stars and the constellations and the planets and the, uh, the sun and the moon. Well, this day is a day of darkness. And the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light. Can you imagine that? There's just no light. The sun itself will be darkened in its going forth. And the moon will not cause its light to shine. You know, if this was some sort of epic movie, and we're watching this movie, it's almost like you see this darkness, just this, this intense darkness come, and you can hear the foreboding music. And like, we don't know what's about to happen. All we know is it's not going to be good. Something horrible is about to happen. There's foreboding in the air. Isaiah saw it. He's not the only one who saw it. Christ himself said this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the tribulation is pointed to Jacob. The tribulation contains the abomination that makes desolate, which is pointed at Jerusalem. So after the nations have done their work in softening Judah and softening Israel and turning their hearts wholeheartedly to the Lord so that there is a finally a remnant of the covenant people that God can truly work with according to the Deuteronomic prophecy by Moses, after that happens, then the sun will be darkened and the moon will no longer give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven will be shaken. So Satan has done his dirty work on the covenant people and now God is going to turn on these Gentile nations. That's why in Revelation 1, the nations of the earth mourn when Christ returns, but his covenant people will rejoice. Joel says the same thing. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon grow dark, the stars diminish their brightness, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. People are going to be terrified. And this is really like when in Matthew 24, Christ is saying, don't be deceived. It's really about um, his, the timing of his return, but it's also about the purpose of his return. And, and part of this deception, because it's coming out of Matthew 23, is going to have to do with his relationship with his people. It's the abomination that makes desolate. And people are going to be saying that these people, these Jews, are cursed. They are God-forsaken. And that's a deception. The covenant people can never be God-forsaken because God will never forsake his covenant. They may have forsaken the covenant, but God never breaks a covenant. Once covenanted, always covenanted covenanted forever. That's what God wants us to understand. And so it's only, so all of these things are happening and it's easy to believe the, the rhetoric of men, but God is returning. The sign that he's returning is when we see things happen that are completely outside of the control of men. No man can make the sun go dark, the moon turn red blood, the, the, the stars stop shining and fall from heavens. When, when we see these heavenly signs, that's the sign that God is returning. And when he returns, he, his wrath is turned upon the nations because now he's returning to save his people. The tribulation, really we call it the great tribulation. We could call it the great redemption because it's kind of oxy, it's kind of a, a paradox. 
that when all of this wrath is finally turned intensely and the whole world agrees, and even, even people among us are getting swept up in Satan's agenda, and the whole world agrees these are hateful people and need to be destroyed, that out of that comes their redemption. They finally, they finally realize they can't turn to anybody except God. And we see that sort of a heart in, in the Psalms that we've been studying the Psalms. And at that time, he's going to hear their cry, return to save them and destroy the Gentile nations. But we're going to see these, these, these signs in the heavens that no man can control. That's the sign that he's coming. He says here in Ezekiel, same thing. When I put out your light, I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud and the moon shall not give her light. He says the same thing through Amos. And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord God, that I will make the sun go down at noon and I will darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and its end like a bitter day. So first it's the tribulation is going to be on these people. And then there's going to be these signs that God is now turning to redeem his people and crush the Gentile nations. Zephaniah, same thing. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. So it's throughout the prophets and even Christ in all the gospel accounts, there's, there's different accounts of this prophecy. And then ultimately in the book of Revelation, I looked when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And then in chapter eight, verse 12, then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So there are going to be these heavenly signs, and there's going to be this darkness that is going to be a signal of foreboding, that God is about to return and unleash his entire wrath on these Gentile nations, which seem to have the upper hand. And their God seemed to be the true God. Clearly, if they're winning, their God must be the true God. And many, many people getting caught up with their rhetoric and, and maybe their force as well, being afraid to say uh, to die or to be persecuted, to say, well, if I go along, uh, go along to get along, what's, what's a small mark? I'll just take the mark and just fit in. Uh, it's going to be terrible. God is coming in wrath. If we don't know the wrath that's coming, we, we will be afraid of the wrath that's on the earth. But if we understand the wrath that's coming, then we're not going to fear men. And it's just, it's just sad to see our people getting swept up and deceived and seduced. Back to Isaiah 13. And hopefully all of our ministers will be uh, sharing in this warning. Isaiah 13 and verse 11. God says to Isaiah, I will punish the world for its evil. Amen, amen. I just, I rejoice. I rejoice. Sometimes I scratch my head and I think, who would harm a child? What's got to be in you that you would knowingly damage a child? I just, it's, it's beyond my comprehension. And these men who just lust for power and just will, will, will sell out entire nations 
for their own enrichment. God says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. You know, I, I hope this message gets out that they, some of these, some of them can say, you know what, there's got to be more to this life. And if there is a God, I'm in big trouble. And they do repent. There's a lot of repentance that takes place before Christ returns. But the gospel has to be preached. And hopefully they do repent. But for those that don't, I rejoice in this word. This gives me some solace, some peace. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. So we saw this really clear problem in Israel. And it was the same problem in Judah. And it was pride. And it's the fundamental problem of Satan. Pride. And now we see these wicked nations, these Gentile nations, they suffer from the same thing. That's why I said earlier, you know, I don't buy that there's any ethnic group that in some way is superior to another ethnic group. I just don't buy it. All of us suffer from this satanic curse of pride. And all of us need a savior. We're all treacherous and wicked. And if we don't see it that way, if I somehow think that, you know, my people, we just have that edge over everybody else. We're just somehow superior. And we don't quite need a savior as much as anybody else. This is a disaster. This is a tragedy. All of us have to realize that the, the imagination of Satan dwells in the human heart. The quest of depravity that the devil has dwells in the human heart. And because of that, we all have the potential to unleash untold harm upon the world. We just need the power. Just give us the authority and the power, and that wickedness that's in our heart will be magnified. And we have to see it that way. And the only thing, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? The only salvation we have, the only redemption we have, the only restoration we have is Christ our Savior. Everybody, every human being, every ethnic group. And so here, yeah, Israel was proud. Judah was proud. They're the covenant people. But if God covenanted with another nation, would it be that that nation would be any better? Or would they also fall into this trap of self-righteousness and be as stubborn and human as Israel and Judah? So we see here the fundamental root cause. I will halt the arrogance of the proud. We'll put a stop, a stop to it. And this again, like again, I just, I just can't process it. Who would harm a child? You see the innocence of these children and their eyes are so bright and their laughter and their energy and you just want to help them. You want to, you want to launch them. Who would destroy a child? It's this, this wickedness in the heart. And this, I think, I think whenever you overstep, if I overstep, so I'm, I have a lovely wife, children. If I overstep and I just feel like I can do whatever I want to my wife at any time I like, that overstepping comes from Pride. Boundaries come from humility. That, that's why I think in America as a nation at the founding where, hey, there are boundaries here. We have to govern. In fact, we want to self-govern. But we can't just do as we like. There have to be boundaries. So human beings have God-given rights. We can't overstep. That comes from a place of humility. 
So you can't have that without acknowledging a God above. So as much as whatever they understood about God, they understood, hey, there are God-given rights here. We're just human. We can't overstep. Current administration, we have to get rid of the First Amendment. We have to get rid of the Second Amendment. We can do whatever we like. We can enforce you. We can inject uh, substances into your, into your body that you have no clue what's in them, no clue what they'll do to you. But we, we're the government. We can, we can, yes, there's, you have skin, and that looks like a boundary. It's not a boundary to us. We can pass that. We can penetrate that because we just do as we like. That's pride. That's arrogance. It used to be my body, my choice. Now it's uh, my body, whatever the government says. That's pride. So God says, I will halt the arrogance of the proud. So we're going to see this on display in spades. We're just going to watch human pride. And what we have to do is fight against that. We have to, as proud as the world becomes, we need to become more and more humble, more and more Christ-like. So when he appears, it's going to be astonishing that there are people on the earth and people who walked the earth that were like Christ while the world was just getting drunk on power and pride. I will halt the arrogance of the proud and I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold. The whole earth is going to shake. And death is going to be every. So what this means is, you know, <laughs> the way this verse is phrased, um, a year ago, the way they were carrying on about the pandemic and about COVID-19, I would have said, wow, this prophecy is now coming to pass. Uh, mortals will be more rare than fine gold. Because the way they're carrying on about this pandemic, uh, people are just going to be dropping in the streets. You're going to be walking. And you're just going to see people drop in the streets. Oh, the pandemic has come. Oh, they just got hit by, oh, there's another one that just fell down. And millions and millions. Of, and there's like anybody who survives, it's like, wow, you're so blessed that you should survive because it's like looking for fine gold to find a human being. And so because they were carrying on like this, it's okay. Well, hey, we got to do something like for two weeks. If we all just kind of hunker down for two weeks, this thing can pass over us. Okay, let's do that. Hey, we're into this thing, what, 15 months later? And it doesn't seem like mortals are dying by the tens of millions around the world, by the hundreds of millions. You know, yes, it's a terrible uh, virus. It's a real virus. It's been clearly where we're seeing now again a year ago, if we said this came out of a lab and it's human, it's humanly constructed. It's not a natural virus. We would have been laughed at. Oh, you conspiracy nuts, conspiracy theory. Uh, now it comes out. Nobody says anything. There's no acknowledgement that, you know what, this really was uh, conspiratorial in nature. No, people should be in jail now. China should be, uh, you know, just completely condemned, uh, not China, but the Communist Party to be behind this. But money, money is amazing what money can do. Nobody condemns China. Nobody talks about China. You know, uh, when the previous administration was in power, everybody was blaming him instead of blaming the, the, the source. But this is like death everywhere. That, that's what we thought was coming with this pandemic, death everywhere. But that was, that was just nonsensical. It's a, the flu kills people. Every year, the, the flu kills tens of thousands of people, maybe hundreds of thousands globally. The flu was a real virus. But you know, we, we traveled, we took precautions, we washed to the good hygiene, tried to good nutrition. Uh, sometimes you would actually, I would actually feel like, I, I, I could tell the difference between getting a cold and getting the flu. And, uh, you know, cold and I feel a few sniffles, I jump on it because I've got to be, I've got to be out working and, you know, can't afford to be sick. But when the flu hits, oh boy, I just know this is different. 
And again, we jump on it and try to do what we can to get the immune system active. And so hopefully it doesn't, it doesn't gain traction. Flu is a dangerous, dangerous virus. And there's different variants every year. Same thing with this, this COVID-19. Uh, it, it's a terrible virus. We would not want to get stricken with this, but it's not what they were making it out to be. That it was just going to wipe out humanity. But God is going to wipe out humanity. He says, I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold. A man more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place. God is furious with the wickedness on the earth. Think of um, Genesis. When, when you see in Genesis uh, 6 with, with uh, Noah and, and the wickedness that's in the earth and God is going to just destroy the whole earth. That's his sentiment here. So, so we have to ask ourselves, do we have the sentiment of Jesus Christ? Or are we sort of walking around wishy-washy and just, you know, we see sin right in front of us. We see sin right in our congregation. And we're just sort of this wishy-washy, like, oh, remember the woman who was caught in adultery? Jesus forgave her. No idea what, what actually the context of that passage is. Yeah, you know, you can commit adultery and Jesus likes that. It's okay. And you know, we, we, we're not, we're all, nobody's perfect. And at least we're better than the world. And like everybody just calm down. Is, is that the sentiment that's going to align itself with Christ's intense wrath when he, when he appears? Or are we becoming more and more sensitive to the instructions in Torah and the prophecies so that we are like really upset and sighing and crying over the wickedness that we see in this earth? So that when he returns, we're in alignment with his sentiment. He says, therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth will move out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. And that's again my question. These people who think they can cozy up to Marxist movements and try to help social justice. Like, are you dialed into these prophecies? Are you dialed into this sentiment? that Christ has with the earth, that their definitions of justice are not his, that he's coming to bring true justice, and that their heroes that they hold up to say, hey, this is a wonderful person and a hero, that God is looking and saying, I want nothing to do with that person. That's a son of Belial. Do, do not deceive my people by holding up people who are villains as heroes. Straight talk is needed. Straight Torah talk. You're either in alignment with Torah or you're in opposition to it. And there can be no justice that is in opposition to Torah. So he's coming in fierce anger. And there's going to be a, Christ says, many will turn away. Many, the, the love of many will wax cold. So this is serious business, brethren. And it clearly, he was speaking of the Babylon of Isaiah's day but clearly it's speaking of the end time Babylon. And we need to get right. We need to be on the right side of this conflict. It shall be as the hunted gazelle and as sheep that no man takes up. Every man will turn to his own people and everyone will flee to his own land. So this is going to be a time of great terror. And, and this is quite interesting. We're even seeing here now people in the congregation, in the church, have the Holy Spirit, but they're prioritizing their ethnic group over the Holy Spirit. So you can see how church brethren are going to get swept up in these ethnic conflicts. 
Everyone who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children also will be dead. Listen, this is, listen, this is prophecy. I didn't write this. I'm just reading it. Isaiah wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is the vision that he had, and he's sharing it with us. And it concerns Judah and Jerusalem, but it also concerns these nations that have been inflicting pain and anguish on Judah and Jerusalem. And so God inspires here that their children also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Now, why would that be? Why would their children be dashed to pieces right in front of them? And why would their wives be ravished? Well, Moses wrote that what they've done to you, that's what's going to happen to them. This, this is the justice of God. This is, this is the justice. You can't do these things and get away with it. What is a suitable punishment for these people? He says in Zechariah 14, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming. So we're still talking about the day of the Lord. And your spoiled Judah will be divided in your midst. So this happens first. So first Zechariah 14, and then Isaiah 13. So these curses that they put on you, the judgment is it's going to fall on them. What is an appropriate punishment for what they're doing? So they're going to come in and they're going to um, ravish you. But Isaiah says it's going to turn back on them. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming and your spoil will be divided in your midst. O daughter of... So, so that's... Uh, if you went on to read Zechariah 14, it talks about, and I won't go into detail, what's going to happen to Judah. That's what's going to happen to Babylon. And now Psalms really brings this to light. And, and, and I've heard uh, Muslims point this out. They say, oh, look at this, look at this. They don't read the whole Bible. They just pick out a verse. We've got to begin with Torah. And what God is a God of, of, of keeping his word. The Islamic God doesn't keep his word. He doesn't keep covenant. In fact, he endorses lying. So this is not the same God. The God of the Bible is all about the word and keeping his word and performing his word. And the word that was laid down was these covenant people have to be punished in order for them to repent, but they are his people. They're the apple of his eye. And those nations that destroy them and go too far and think they can do whatever they like, it's going to be reversed. And they're going to be subject to the very thing that they were doing. And, and David really brings this out in Psalm 137. O daughter of Babylon, so now we're dealing with end-time Babylon, who are to be destroyed. We just read about that in Isaiah. There's a judgment on Babylon, and Babylon is to be destroyed, as mighty and powerful it is. Blessed be the one who repays you as you have served us. This is Moses' judgment, or the judgment that came through Moses. What they do to you and all the harm that they inflict upon you, they're going to be subjected to it. And he says this, Happy the one, bless the one, who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Powerful, powerful judgment. But what it means is, this is what they were doing to Judah. They came in and thought they could treat Judah any which way. They did not acknowledge that these are the covenant people. And God is now going to make the whole earth know, these are my covenant people. You do not touch them. You do not touch them. And I'm afraid that some of our own people who think it's a little thing 
to fund movements. They're sending, instead of sending in their ties to the church, they're sending their funds to movements that align with the people who are going to be destroying and dashing the children of the Jews uh, against stones like this. And God is saying, okay, but when I act, I, I'm allowing this so that they can be driven to repentance and realize they can't survive without me, but I'm about to act. And I'm going to bring all of this back on your heads. And if we're involved in this, brethren, it, it's terrifying. So he says, behold, I will stir up. So now, we're now he gets very local and at the time. I will stir up the Medes against them who will not regard silver. And as for gold, they will not delight in it. They're going to have a purpose and they, don't, they can't be bought off. Also, their bows will dash the young men to pieces and they will have no pity on the fruit of the womb. Their eye will not spare children. So that's what happened anciently. It's a foretaste of what's going to happen in the future. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride. Again, it comes down to this pride. And, you know, you see this with these same people in this area today. Allahu Akbar, this is said with such pride. You know, it's, it's a crushing of others. We're the best. We can go through the world and just do whatever we like. It's pride. And God is going to bring down the pride of all nations. They will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation. Listen, nor will the Arabian pitch tents there. So God is bringing into focus. It's like you have a camera and you just, it kind of zooms in and focuses and very sharp. And everything else now is blurry. And what's coming into sharp focus is the Arabian. There's something about the Egyptian tongue, which is Arabic. There's something about the Assyrian coming into the land, which are under uh, Arabic tongue as well. And now it's very clear. The Arabian seems to be very settled. And when God acts, the Arabian will no longer be confused. The Arabian will no longer think that their God is God. The Arabian will realize they have nothing to do with the covenant, except they repent. So nor will the Arabian pitch tents there nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. But wild beasts of the deserts will lie there. So this glorious palace and everything is magnificent. It's going to be brought to nothing. And all that will be there will be wild beasts of the desert. And their houses will be full of owls. Ostriches will dwell there. And the wild goats caper there. Will caper there. This is amazing. This is something that we thought would be established in the earth forever. It was so spectacular. And now it's just ruins. And it will be ruins forever. The hyenas will howl in their citadels and jackals in their pleasant palaces. Her time is near to come. Her days will not be prolonged. And it's just very mindful, I just end here with Malachi, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you. This is covenant love. Once covenanted, always covenanted. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Like we're, we're abandoned here. How, how, like we don't see your love. What's the answer? God says, was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have covenant loved, but Esau I have covenant hated. Esau rejected the covenant. So God rejected him completely. There's nothing he can do now. This is the answer. So I've loved you. How have you loved us? The covenant. Remember the covenant. And, and so remember Ishmael marries Esau. So all of these nations now are... are really under Ishmael and Esau. He says, Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, 
we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. So they think that they don't need God. Some of them think, oh, we'll just get back to our former glory. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will personally see to it to destroy anything they try to rebuild. I have covenanted with Jacob and I've rejected Edom. They may build, and this is, these are the Islamic peoples, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. So the only way out of this is to repent and to acknowledge the God of Israel and to acknowledge Israel. But if you're going to insist in this ideology that you, your, your fathers have sold you and deceived you with, God is against you. And you're going to be known as the people against whom the Lord has indignation forever. And we just got a taste of that indignation that's coming as we went through Isaiah 13. So we're in this section now where we're going to see um, how God is going to be dealing with these uh, nations around. And we can just get a taste of this. Yes, Israel is wicked. Yes, Judah is wicked. But they're within the covenant. And although they will betray the covenant, God will never betray the covenant. Never, ever, ever. He's made a promise. He's going to fulfill it. And we just need to understand how, how this all plays out. And then ultimately how these people are going to suffer for going up against the God of Jacob. Brethren, thank you so much. God bless you. What a wonderful, mighty God we serve. Amen.